Hello, everybody. It is great to be here one more time today. And my name is Gary Fowler, and I'm the CEO, President, and Founder of GSD Get You Done Venture Studios, Premier AI and Quantum Venture Studio, located in the heart of Silicon Valley. A 17-time serial entrepreneur with several unicorns on the belt, including Click Software, which was sold to Salesforce for $1.35 billion. We believe that intellectual capacity is evenly spread around the world, but opportunities are not. And with that, I'd like to introduce Sumit. Hi, Sumit. It's good to see you today. Great seeing Gary, and thank you for inviting us to your show. Uh, pleasure to be here. So Sumit's a serial entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and an MBA from MIT. He's currently a partner at IHQ Ventures and Tradeback, Inc., playing roles such as building a nexus of funding channel partners. Ooh, nexus of funding channel partners, due diligence of potential investments, negotiated deal closures, determining potential risks, and structuring strategic and bilateral relationships. He served as a head of the Mumbai Angel Network and he's co-founded ventures such as Just Tap Media, a digital OOO ad tech venture, and uh, conjoined consultancy. So with that, so he is the uh, partner at IXQ, which is an MIT spinoff digital lab inventing an efficient, efficient model to help some of the best innovators reach the world. So with that, wow, sounds like you've done a lot to me. So tell me a little bit about your journey. So you went to, you grew up in Mumbai and so, and you had your first uh, company you were working for is Color Wings. Right, so Gary, I uh, I would say I, I was not uh, grown up in Mumbai, uh, but in India because I lived in Calcutta, Mumbai, Delhi, Bangalore, and now I'm in Boston. So I would call it as like entire India. And uh, the first company which I started right after my engineering was color, uh, was conjoined consultancy. And that's uh, back that in 2007, uh, service industry was pretty prevailing in India. And uh, conjoined is one of the service industry where we serve all the global investment banks like JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, uh, all the top 10 investment banks out in India. Interesting. Uh, from there, you went to Mumbai. So you're part of Mumbai Angel Network, where you focused on uh, sector-focused investments. So tell us a little bit about that. That was a small stint uh, with Mumbai Angels, where I was heading one of the verticals, which uh, was a new initiative. Uh, they were sector agnostic investors and wanted to focus more on, on sector-focused uh, investments. So health tech was the first sector that I started with. And our focus was to start with more and more sectors, one after the other, so that it's just not about, you know, investing in the startups, but creating a complete ecosystem for a startup. So when we talk about health tech, we have uh, we incorporated with uh, hospitals, uh, clinics, doctors and, and different, you know, health tech companies so that if a health tech company, a, a budding startups comes with to us, they get the entire ecosystem benefits. They can get their first customer. They can get the place where they can do the testing and obviously funding and advisory and mentorship. Interesting. So you why did you only stay there a year? Uh, so it was like that. I mean, after I took an exit from my That's last startup, uh, I was. Samit, it sounds like a lot of fun to deal with those angels network. It must be really interesting, right? 
All right. So, but that was that was for a period of seven months before I was uh, hitting MIT. So it was after I took an exit from my last startup and uh, I was moving to MIT. And before that, there was a gap of seven, eight months. And uh, I got referred to Mumbai Angels through one of their investors. And that's how I, I was there. Interesting. So then you so you went over and, and uh, you went to Tradeback. What was Tradeback all about? So Tradeback, uh, we kicked in Tradeback uh, at, at the end of 2021. Uh, Tradeback is a specialty finance fund where we lend money to small and medium enterprise businesses globally. Uh, it's inventory uh, inventory backed lending that we do in Tradeback. So we understand there's a huge gap for you know small and medium enterprises globally. Uh, even though the default rates are low, even though uh, they are the one who is giving 50% employment across the globe, and most of the you know GDP is run by SMEs, but there's a huge cap when we talk about lending. Like if I, if you are a you know blue chip company or a corporate, uh, the rejection ratios of the of the loans are very very low. Like it may be single digit, but wherein for SME, 50% of the loans by the banks get rejected. So that is a space where we are working and trying to fill that gap. Uh, it's a it's a fund where we lend money to these small and medium enterprises, and for our investors, it's highly secured where uh, it is a collateralized loan. So we have always the inventory with us. Got it. And then, how did you come up with the IHQ? What did that? Uh, and by the way, what's IHQ stand for? Uh, it's Innovation Headquarter, and. Uh, why I started, how I started, that's my passion. I have been a three times entrepreneur in past, Gary, and uh, I've always seen that for a budding startup, uh, marketing is always a challenge, right? I mean, if you look at the top tech, like the best techies, best doctors, uh, they are amazing in tech. They are amazing in building the product. But, but when it comes to marketing, it's like reinventing the wheel every time, right? So that's where... Uh, I have I have run a startup which was a media tech startup as well and, and I saw this challenge very very closely. Uh, that's where we came up with this idea of IHQ. Uh, IHQ Ventures has two arms. One is IHQ Studio and the other is IHQ Capital. So Studio is the component where we just don't invest money in the startups. Definitely we do investments, but over that the the USP is we take the ownership of these startups uh marketing for entire one year so just imagine if you are uh early revenue startups where the founder would have put in like one one and a half year two year to build the product from scratch raise some money from friends and families and their ecosystem and put in some money by themselves and they have now built the product which is market fit all the testings are done and at this point in time the major money that they are raising is precisely for digital marketing like i would not say the entire, but at least 50% of that goes to digital marketing. And if you do a wrong hire at that point in time in digital marketing, your, your startup is gone for a toss. So that's where we come in, we bridge that gap, we take the ownership of your entire digital marketing. You don't have to hire a single employee in marketing. We have 12 people team, which comes into your uh, uh, perusal and, and take you know uh, right from brand building to brand communication to strategy and execution of entire campaign is done by us. Got it. And so do you like it? Is it interesting for you? Why did you, are you passionate about it or what, what made you decide to do it? Did you just wake up one day and say, Oh, I want to form IHQ. 
So if you look at my journey as well, Gary, I mean, right after my engineering, I started with a venture. And uh, after that, I did three of them and worked with a venture fund. And my interest has always lied into this. So uh, I'm, I'm more pro towards, you know, uh, budding startups rather than the late stage and, and private markets, uh, public markets. And, and as you have seen the trend right now, like, you know, more and more companies are trying to stay private rather than public because there is more potential there. The moment you are public, you are in limelight and there are so many challenges that you have to take care of that you don't focus on the business right. So, yeah, I, I love to work with, you know, startups and uh, whether it is early stage, uh, growth stage or uh, kind of late stage. Got it. And then so you went to MIT. Now, how was that? Oh, my God. So that's one of the best experience one can have, Gary. And uh, the program which I went for, uh, so I was I was trying to, you know, trying for IIT in India, uh, which I couldn't crack uh, because you can understand around a million, you know, students apply for IIT for roughly three or 4,000 seats. Uh, it's highly, highly competitive. And that keep my, kept my, you know, uh, motion going and, after IIT, what I could see was MIT, and I tried for that. So went there. Yep. So that was one of I the best experience. Samit, what's yeah. better, IIT or MIT? There is no comparison, Gary. I mean, both of them are outstanding. IIT is best in India. MIT is best in the US. So I would say both are amazing. Which one's harder to get into? Uh, equally both. Uh, IIT have a lot of competitions from India, uh, precisely. MIT has competition from all around the globe. Like in my cohort, there were folks from 56 different countries. Uh, we had amazing professors like Gary Gansler's of the world who we, you know, uh, uh, took courses from. So uh, both, <clears throat> both are amazingly good. I would say uh, uh, IIT is more at the, you know, fresh grads getting in there. What I experienced in MIT was like, you know, very, very experienced cohort. My ex my cohort had uh, people who were, you know, current MDs in large banks, large investment banks and, and uh, uh, top management in large uh, uh, Fortune 500 companies. So the competition is very different. That's uh, it's, it's very much a number game in IIT and it's very much uh, very, very, you know, uh, high-profile game in MIT, I would say. Huh, interesting. And so what do you do for fun in MIT? Like, so you go to MIT. I'm just real curious, you know. What do you do for fun? So what's a Friday night or Saturday night look like? Do you get to get out and uh, <laughs> play computer games, or what do you do? Do you have discussions uh, of projects, or what happens? Yeah, so I would say every week is different, Gary. And uh, MIT is... I would say it's a universe in itself. I would, I haven't seen anybody in MIT who would have explored the entire MIT. Like uh, at any point in day, there would be like, you know, tons of events going on and conferences going on and different kind of research work going on. Uh, after spending like close to one and a half year in MIT and plus a lot of time that I even spend now, I would say I would know about like I, MIT, like five or 10% of it not not much more even most of the professors would not know the entire mit so it's great place to be there and uh, every week is different i would say you know uh, our our best was to you know uh, 
keep meeting our own cohort, spending some time creating that ecosystem, creating that network, because we were like 115 people uh, family and with SOs. So it was a great experience there. Uh, Friday night is more of parties that we wanted to do because after one hard week of rigorous, you know, uh, studies and, and working on different uh, strategies, different uh, startups, different ideas, uh, we would wanted to take a break on Fridays. So Friday nights have been like house parties generally at, at friends place. And before that, yeah, they were amazing things. Like I was a part of one of the CVCs. Uh, there was a conglomerate, Peruan conglomerate called Remac, Rimac. And I was advising them for uh, setting up a corporate venture capital uh, that the company wanted to do. So I spent a lot of time doing that. So a lot of weekends went to, into that. Uh, yeah, so that's that's what it is. Oh, that's great. So how do you go down through? So you're doing the, how many companies have come through um, IHQ so far? And what are some of the results? So I, right, so IHQ is pretty new. I mean, it's a, it's an emerging fund. And uh, we have recently set up this fund, raised some dollars. And now, uh, as we talk, we are looking at four companies to make investments in this current month. Uh, and when we make an investment, it's just not, you know, doing a due diligence and investing in the startup because we, before making an investment, we make entire strategy, marketing strategy for the startup. So it, it, it takes a little bit of time from our end, uh, after the due diligence process and before we make an investment, because we try to, you know, do all the TAM, SAM, SOM, and how do we reach out to the most addressable market and what should be the strategy of the marketing. So all those, you know, uh, Homework is done before we make an investment. And it's a new startup. Uh, it's a new, fairly, you know, uh, startup fund. Uh, we would make our first four investments this month. Got it. So how big is the fund? So it's a unique uh, structure. It's a series LLC, Gary. Uh, it's a $75 million fund. Uh, most of our investors are investing in, in every batch. So each batch has 20 startups and, uh, uh, each batch makes investment in 20 startups and then goes to the next batch. And what's the average investment size? So we do $200,000 uh, uh, in cash and rest uh, is the marketing, you know, uh, services that we provide for the entire one year. And then, so you do so the for, from a startup perspective, if you see it's a, uh, it's easily like, you know, a quarter million to a million dollar of, you know, benefits that we get in from marketing perspective and the cash component. And uh, from investors perspective, they know that the money is just not thrown into a startup and then we have no say on that. We are completely currently, you know, working with all these startups, we are managing their marketing. So we exactly, you know, playing with the numbers and we exactly taking data driven decisions. And then what about the, the sales stuff? Who's doing the sales work? The marketing is one piece, but who's doing sales and helping them? A lot of these startups need sales and business development. Who's helping them with that? Can you hear me? Uh, that's a great question, Gary. I think the founders are the best people to do that, right? So at this point in time, the stages at which we are working with, these are small teams. Uh, maybe the founders are doing the sales work or they, they may have, you know, uh, one or two key people who are who are driving the sales. But I mean, a so lot as of IHQ doesn't get into the sales, we, we kind of, you know, help them in the marketing part. 
because that, you know, to me, that's a big thing. I've been doing startups for 37 years. I've had 4,000 companies through uh, my accelerator that I did in uh, Europe. And so, I mean, the situation is, you know, the challenge is sales is a big thing, right? They don't know how to speak. I remember when I took my course at Stanford and uh, and basically uh, an acting coach and a business coach were in the course so we could learn how to speak. And a lot of these entrepreneurs, about 68% of them, 69% of them are have tech backgrounds and they, they, they don't want to. In fact, I was just with one before we had this, uh, this event today, but they don't want to do that, you know? And, and so on one side of it, it's, it's arming them with, uh, it's like having a car without gas, right? So you got to have gas, you got the marketing part, but it's, a, it, and I'm not asking this, I'm not saying this in a negative way, but the sales stuff is so important because you're right about it. And some of the founders aren't salespeople. They, they don't know how to sell. And if you can't sell, you can't go out and talk to public markets about how incredible your company is. And so it's interesting dilemma, right? So the, the um, and then of course, operations piece is important. The sales part's important. Then the contacts and network to be able to raise, um, to be able to raise money, right? Those contacts and networks. So the high net worth individuals, family offices, and fun. It's very interesting when you start to see how those dynamics start to play together. I mean, you see that at places like MIT and Stanford, where you get ultra high net worth individuals that have been successful, start to play together and use their .edu um, email addresses to communicate. So everybody knows you're in the secret society, right? But it's, it's important. And, you know, we think that that's more of a laser approach rather than a shotgun. The current method of uh, funding companies is fundamentally wrong, you know, from my perspective. And if you jump in and you take your own money and jump in, especially like, you know, we're doing, if you take your money and jump into those companies and can get in, and I'm a clinical psychologist too. So as a psychologist, you get into the, and, and I only went to my master's program. The only reason I did it is because I got a free ride. But, um, and it was interesting. But one of the things is, how do you get to understand? It's like, I believe it's dating before you get married, right? Typically, investors invest in companies. They'll, they'll meet the company two to five times. They'll invest, but they say team's number one. How, how can you know a team after five calls? You know what I mean? Or three calls. It's impossible. And so fundamentally flawed. And at the same time, we're driven because we have mandates to be able to invest. But the situation is you got to get to know the company. you got to understand it. How much should you invest or not? Is there stuff real or not? Right? Is it is it really real? Do they have all the component parts together? Do the team, are they playing together like a symphony orchestra? Or, or like you said, do they need the marketing, the sales and business development, which most of them do, right, and don't understand. But they also need the contacts to the network to be able to get it out. You know, Silicon Valley to me is a port to the rest of the world. It's not, it's not a place, it's a mentality. And one of the yep. things, the beauty of that mentality is when you're inside of it, you understand there's a lot of opportunities to be able to, to find those, uh, those resources and things like unsupervised AR and ladder networks and variational auto encoders and those kind of things. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. So coming up to it, I, I'm curious about the sales part that I, you know, just, it's interesting for me because it's a link that sometimes people miss. What about, how do you determine? But Gary, to that, I mean, 
I understand what you are saying and we are totally in sync and that's where we are trying to, you know, cover one of the part, which is marketing, uh, which is digital marketing, because every sales is different. Every startup will have a different sales cycle and would have a different, you know, set of clients and different set of teams in a, in a, in a company, you know, they, they would be approaching. So as a, as a company, as a venture fund, we cannot do sales for them, we, but we definitely, you know, take the benefit of our MIT ecosystem and, and uh, uh, the connections that we have with Harvard, Stanford, Googles and of the world to help these startups, you know, grow their sales, but we definitely cannot get involved into the sales. Uh, as you rightly said, like, you know, getting to the founders, it's not very easy. Like one of uh, one of the examples that I can give you, uh, uh, in past, we invested in one of the startups, uh, health tech startup, which was started by two Stanford PhDs. And for the first six months, we could not invest in them. They, they built a product, there was, there was traction happening, but the biggest gap that we saw was uh, the sales and marketing, like they, they lack the business team actually, right? They build the product tech-wise, they are amazing. Uh, they know that they knew what exactly they are doing, but the only advice that we could give them that they, you need a CBO, right? I mean, you need a chief business officer. And uh, five, six months down the lane, they actually uh, hired a co-founder as a CBO, and we were very happy to invest in them. So uh, that's that's a gap, and a part of it is taken is being solved at IHQ. And great input. We will look what we can do in the sales cycle as well. Yeah, I mean the situation. So what I found, in fact, I did it myself with Eva. So my partner in Eva was David Yang. David Yang's a billionaire and a AI billionaire. And what happened is we came into that company. I came in as a CEO and president of the company. So he wanted somebody from the business side to come in. Um, you know, the the first MBA program was started in what in nineteen oh eight. 1906 um, at Harvard University was to teach managers how to manage, not how to be entrepreneurs, right? The whole skill set right. about this thing is a lot different. So you got to go down through and, and building a company. I mean, risk wasn't a good thing, right? Uh, if you look at it as a, as a manager, you want to take very minimal risk. Well, as an entrepreneur, you got to take it every day, don't you? You got to like roll the dice. And the beauty of that is entirely different mentality. So what do you go down through when you're looking at some meat, when you find these companies, right? And you look at it and you find somebody that's, for instance, I'll give you a direct example. And I just had one today. He's a PhD in physics. Okay. Smart as a whip, but he can't manage, you know, he's, he's not, uh, he doesn't like it and doesn't want to be a manager. What do you do when you have somebody like that's got an incredible product or service and they come to you? What do you do? Gary, so I think, you know, what uh, my experience have been product is just not the uh, it's just not the thing that that can you know build a business. Right. Uh, you could be a great techie. You could be a great doctor. You could be building an amazing product. But to be an entrepreneur, you need to have uh, certain other different skill sets like which is entrepreneurial mindset, how much of pressure you can take, how much of uh, management skills you have, how mature you are. So those are basic stuff that I would definitely look at first. Like when we look at a company, uh, the basic parameters that we look at is obviously the founders, their fraternity, uh, if they have been a founder in past or how entrepreneurial they are. So those are the basic checks that we see from the founder's perspective. And then the TAM, SAM, SOM of the product 
and then uh, how's the product right you know if there's a demand in the market if it is actually solving some problems for consumers so as we as we focus majorly on fintech health tech and consumer internet we always see that you know it is solving some of the issues in these sectors otherwise uh, when when i say consumer internet you should be using uh, tech to to add some convenience to users life right to to your consumers so uh, three things that we definitely look at so even if the founder is great uh, as as a techie but he doesn't have a complementing co-founder to run the business it's not going to work out so all the advice that i can give to this uh, ex founder that you're talking about is like you know uh, partner up right partner up and get another founder maybe who is great in business and you are getting tech that would be a great combination now who leads the company does the technical founder lead the company or the business person lead the company uh, now today's world i would say there are several tangents to the company right it's not about leading the company uh, it's not the juggle to become a ceo or cfo or cto uh, every position is equally important and equally you know uh, strong enough so all the three de uh, designations i'm talking about are equally important if you don't manage the cash flow you are gone for a toss if you don't manage the uh, if your tech is not smart enough and and abreast uh, you are gone for a toss and ceo manages the overall cycle so i think i think all of them all of the three are other pillars yeah you're right well it's part of a, it's a team but you need somebody that can lead it too you got to have the compassion and the empathy to be able and a desire to be able to lead it's important i had a four-star admiral that was on the show and and uh, i asked him the question samit i said to him you know, how do you become a four-star admiral? He's the number two guy in the U.S. military. And he said, um, I said, what are the characteristics? And he said, uh, compassion is the most important characteristic of leading. And uh, I said, well, what do you mean? He said, when uh, they had Operation Desert Storm, he was a person that was running the Sixth Fleet, and he was on an aircraft carrier. And he said, a tear came down my eye when I was sitting down uh waving off the pilots that were going to be flying because I knew that 10% of them wouldn't come back and I would have to write their wives and their, their mothers wow. and their kids and tell them. And he said, fortunately, nobody got shot down, but he said, um, and made him feel good. But he said, you know, uh, people have to know that you truly care about them. And it's interesting, you know, different school of thought, but I think it's right on target. It's interesting. So what do you do? So in terms of how do you find those companies, Samit, what's the best way to find them? Do you just go to to uh, students at MIT or professors, or how do you find the companies? Yeah, definitely we take the benefit of the MIT LM ecosystem. Uh, there are enough budding startups coming from MIT. We have Delta Vs of the world, which is which is happening every year. So we keep a very close eye on the on the startups coming out from there. And then uh, we have a large, uh, you know, alumni network through which we we definitely target startups. But that's not all. We have partnered with most of the accelerators and and you know incubators in the in the U.S. Like we we keep an eye on the YC startups from TechStars uh, and and uh, FI. So we are we are also working very closely with uh, International Federation of International Association to start a chapter in in uh, Boston. So uh, all these ecosystem really work and we get enough deal flows from uh, all the networks that we have built so far. Got it. Now it sounds great. So we're coming up to the top of the show. 
Closing thoughts, Samin, and how do people get a hold of you? If there's startups out there that are interested in working with you, how do they get a hold of you? So closing thoughts and how do they reach you? So closing thoughts, uh, Gary, I would say, I mean, as I as I open any of the social medias, whether it is Twitter, LinkedIn, or something else, I see people talking about all the top tech companies, all the you know CEOs, uh, this CEO tweeted this, and this is what uh, XYZ company is talking about or doing. So every time you see that, you know, people are talking about Tesla, Google's of the world. And uh, my, my suggestion is like, you know, let's not just keep talking about them. Uh, let's start, you know, associating yourself in one of the unicorns uh, of the future, uh, budding startup that you think could be a unicorn of the future, be a investor, be a mentor, be a part of the startup, some or the other way. So get associated with these startups. Uh, reaching out to us, the easiest way is email, email us. Uh, or I'm very active on LinkedIn too, so that goes uh, easy. My email is sumit, S-U-M-I-T, at ihqcap.com. That sounds great. Sumit, thanks for taking time of your busy schedule to join us today. It's appreciated. And thanks to all Thank my you. for joining one more time, GST Presents. Um, you were going to say something, Sumit? Thank you so much, Gary, for your time, and thanks, Jane, for coordinating this. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Take care of yourself. Stay happy, stay safe, and stay healthy. My name's Gary Fowler. And stay warm. And I'm the host of GSD Presents. Just stay warm because there's a blizzard coming. <laughs> Some cold right. weather up north. I'm in Florida right now. It's kind of warm down here. But uh, anyhow, take You're care. You're in the right spot. I'm in the right spot. Take care, everybody. It's good to see you again. We'll see you again next okay. week with another exciting edition. Bye-bye.